Hello, hello. We are back for a World Championships, post-World Championships talk at the Freewheeling Podcast. I'm Abby Mickey. We have only three of us today. Uh, Lauren Rowney, hello. Good morning, everyone. And uh, Gracie Elvin. And good afternoon from Australia. We're missing Amy because as... um, pretty standard in Spain. You move into a new apartment and you are sans internet for what feels like a year. So Amy will be back later, but for now it's the three of us. We're going to chat about the world championships and the upcoming Paris-Roubaix. But before we get to that, this episode is brought to you by Zwift. We are into the end of the season in the Northern hemisphere. The weather's changing, the leaves are falling and the end of summer has long passed. For pros, that means that the off season is approaching, but for us, normal humans, consistent training can continue on Zwift. Since it's not subject to changing seasons, Zwift stays the perfect atmosphere all year round. There are races, group rides, events, and new worlds to explore all through the winter months. Actually, speaking of no off-season, Gracie, how's the Zwift Academy going? Good. I've just done uh, the fourth workout yesterday, and it was two 12-minute efforts that were kind of like under overs and it just felt like it went on forever it felt like I was doing 20 minute FTP, FTP session all over again which is something I was going to avoid in my retirement life but look it's really fun and it's it definitely gets my competitive spirit going when you see you know your prescribed what's up there so I push myself way harder than I would if I was just riding out alone <laughs> do you do any of the they have like multiple options for the workouts you can do them solo or you can do them in a group. Have you done them in a group? I did my baseline ride in a group. Um, that was really fun. And it's kind of, you know, it feels more like a race. I stuffed up a few things, but it's all a learning experience. And it's not like I'm trying to get <laughs> a contract out of it. Um, but the other few workouts I've just been doing solo in my own time, mostly because I've actually, I feel like I'm a week behind. I'm, I'm playing catch up. So I'm definitely going to try and make a few workouts group rides because that definitely makes it a lot more fun. I think on Zwift, that's one of my favorite parts is the social aspect and the, the race aspect, even though I hate to say that. <laughs> <laughs> is there like a racing element to this as well the Zwift Academy at the end not really but I think oh yeah like I, th- I think the finish line one is a bit of a race but you're at the end of the day you're racing yourself you're trying to better your fitness and your you know your, your testing results but if you have a few people around you it's a bit like doing a group training right you still want to do your two-minute effort a little bit better than your teammate. <laughs> <laughs> I'm only going at 80%. Meanwhile. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we all know we get our best numbers on training camp. It's so true. <laughs> Thank you so much to Zwift for sponsoring this podcast. It's great when we have a sponsor that we actually all like adore. All right, let's dive into the road race. It was a few days ago now. Hopefully everybody listening got to see it because it was a really exciting race. There's kind of multiple talking points that we need to cover kind of coming out of the race. Um, But before we get into the winner, something that was really interesting for Lauren and I, because we saw it from the side of the road and we were watching it. We were thinking, man, this is the perfect race for Chloe Hosking. Like it's nice and easy. It seems like, like the Peloton's been kind of just moving along. There were no attacks at all until kind of the last 40K when it really started to blow up. When we were talking to Taylor Wiles after the race, she said that the the pace was actually so fast that you couldn't attack. Like they were going full gas, 
But it wasn't even that the race was hard. The mental aspect of staying in the top was hard enough that no one could make a move, which is really fascinating. I think it's pretty standard on roads like this and also the world championships where there's a lot more pressure on a lot more riders. When you have just a normal race, there's pressure on everybody, but it's only a select few that have pressure of winning. But when it's the worlds, it's kind of more spread out, which makes for a lot different tactics. And we definitely saw that in the beginning of the race. Yeah, the world's race is a really interesting one because obviously, yeah, it's the world championships and everyone is on, generally speaking, that that best, absolute best level, right? So the race itself is on a whole nother level. And I think from um, a spectator's view, like we were saying, Abby, on the side of the road, we thought the first, you know, the race was broken down into three parts, that first third was like a cruisy run into Leuven. But like you said, it was really fast. And the other defining factor, um, which a few of the riders did mention, was if you weren't riding in those top 20 wheels, there was a lot of road furniture. The road was like slow and shitty. It wasn't like a nice smooth surface. So from Antwerp all the way to Leuven, you were sort of stop starting and accelerating a bit if you weren't actually riding those front wheels. Um, so already positioning was key from the very start of the race. Um, and then it just, yeah, I mean, the Leuven circuit, I think they just rode it hard um, to keep things nice and safe for Lizzie Diagnan. She obviously wanted to ride um, through that circuit safely before he- heading towards the Flandrian loop. And that's probably why we didn't see so many crashes was that GB did a really good job of just setting a high tempo. Yeah, and Lizzie was really um, very vocal on social media about how good the UK team was this year. She said it was one of the best teams she's she's been able to race for, and I, I was impressed with how they rode as well. I mean, Joss Loudon is clearly on really good form. She's going for the hour record any day now. And Anna Henderson has, like, really stepped up her game this season. So, yeah, it's... It's unfortunate at the end of the day that Lizzie didn't have the legs, but the team rode super well. And there was a couple teams that had really good performances and some that really probably disappointed. And we're going to, once again, just like the Olympics, uh, dig into the Dutch a little bit because their tactics were fascinating. Um, When it kind of got past the first circuits of Leuven and went into the Flandrian loop. It was then that the race really started to break apart. I mean, the second they started hitting those climbs is when riders were just spat out the back and the peloton got smaller and smaller and smaller. And then coming into the loops in Leuven is where the Dutch really started to quote unquote attack. And we've heard from riders in the peloton that they weren't like really strong attacks. It wasn't like they were trying to get away, but more make kind of the fast acceleration in the Peloton, drop some riders and slow up, which, you know, would have done damage to riders like Chloe because for her, the climbs are already taking it out of her legs. And then to have not a smooth speed in the Peloton makes it even harder. But the the interesting thing about the Dutch was that there was multiple times when there was a group up the road, pretty much... Ellen, like Ellen 
Ellen was the strongest Dutch rider on the day. She looked incredible all day. She was getting into moves. She was going up those climbs like they were nothing. She looked amazing. And she kept getting into moves with Kashin Iwadoma, who was really aggressive all day as well. And then it would be her teammates pulling it back. I mean, multiple times we saw her off the, off the front. And yeah, she wasn't solo, which if she was solo, then I imagine they wouldn't be pulling. But she was in a group with enough race still to go where she would have she still had a chance at winning like hands down and it was van vluten and volering who were closing it down so it was really interesting and whether or not that was them riding all in for boss and they just didn't want anything up the road to me when i was watching that i just didn't understand why they were using van dyke in a way that putting her in those moves instead of having her weld things together. Cause that's like steady high tempo is kind of her go-to. So I didn't understand what was going on there. And at the end of the day, they, they had no firepower to put Voss where she needed to be, which meant she lost. So it was whatever the Dutch were doing, it made no sense and was not the right call. At the end of the day, we saw that. Yeah, what do you guys think of the Dutch the Dutch tactics? Yeah, it's I I agree with you, Abby. It's like it was confusing because actually Ellen was making some of those attacks. She was definitely going with attacks, but she'd also made a few herself. So it was really odd to see her teammates, you know, doing the welding instead of just letting her go. And Ellen can sprint, you know, and she can survive a big day. And she was easily matching whoever she was getting in a break with and could have easily, you know, tried to buy from the jersey. Um, So they should have either just saved her, used her just for welding, or let her go. So they they really wasted Ellen. She, I agree, she was on a ripper day. She still had that great form coming out of the time trial. She's in probably the form of her life, and why would you ride her back? And... It just was odd that they were putting, they seemed to be putting all of their eggs into the basket of Voss, but still not making the most of that either, not using all of her troops around her in in the best possible way, especially in the finish, because every, apart from the Olympics, pretty much every other world championships, we've seen the Dutch work off each other and attack off each other, and they just weren't doing that this time. But they weren't also clearly just writing for Voss. So I couldn't quite work it out either, Lauren. Yeah, but that's exactly it, Gracie. Like um, you've said it before, at the end of a hard race like Flanders where you ran second, it's not a matter at that point of who you would say is typically the fastest and you've come head-to-head a few times with someone like Ellen and you've gotten the better of her before. But it's just whoever can just get those few extra pedal strokes and yeah Elisa Balsamo hats off to her but um she had a fantastic lead out she was just sitting pretty on that wheel and Voss had to work just a little bit extra harder like than her I would say but still I mean I think she was the best rider at the end of the day of course but um I was just a bit sad for Ellen because like you were saying Gracie you could, it wasn't a gamble if Ellen went up the road. I would have had full confidence in not only her ability, but the fact that she's been doing this such a long time that if she was in that 
winning move, she would know exactly what she needed to do. And that was a hard finishing straight. It wasn't a typical sprinter's finishing straight. So, um, yeah, again, I think they they dropped the ball and you could very much see in Annemiek van Vluden's interview, um, I was watching it in Dutch and she was very professional about it, but you could see she wasn't willing to discuss whether they made the right or wrong decision. And just by body language, I think she thought, yeah, I don't know. Um, letting Ellen go would have been a smarter move. I don't know if it was a case where I know with the Australian tactics, they had decided if Chloe got to 20K to go, it was all in for Chloe. Um, and if that meant shutting down, say, someone like Tiff going in a potential winning move, then, yeah. Well, we saw the Dutch do the same thing in the U23 race. So I mean, if the Dutch made the wrong call on tactics... The Italians made the absolute right call. And we were, we said in the last, or I said in the last episode that um, I saw uh, Marta Cavalli and Elisa Longoborghini being aggressive on that Flandrian loop and especially on the climbs on the final circuits and everything. Um, and they weren't, they weren't at all. This was maybe one of the first times in a really, really long time where we've seen Elisa Longoborghini not do anything <laughs> in a race and she i mean they went completely and and 100 all in for balsamo and when it came to that lead out i mean aliza longaborghini usually doesn't have a great sprint but she's also usually really aggressive in the race so when it comes time to sprint she's she's down a lot of matches and this time she went into that sprint and when she led out balsamo she they like separated themselves from the peloton they were they were off the front and that was kind of what killed Voss's sprint because Voss then had to do a huge acceleration to jump onto Balsamo's wheel and so they put all their eggs in the Elisa Balsamo basket and it I mean it it completely worked she had an incredible sprint but it was really a team effort and it was it was super impressive I mean it's not all the time that a national team, every member of a national team can commit to one rider who rides for a different trade team. And they, but they did. And it was incredible to see. And she, I mean, she won junior worlds in 2016 and then to kind of come back and do this. And it's really cool when someone makes that we've talked endlessly in the last couple of weeks about the jump from juniors to elite and how hard that can be. Well, clearly she's done it very well. And I think part of that is because she didn't jump. She didn't get on a huge team immediately after winning junior world. She stayed in an Italian team. She worked on developing herself as a rider and she's going to the world tour next year with Trek Segafredo. So I think that that's, it's a really good example of, you know, how a young rider can, make their career last. I'm really excited to see what she can do next year. And kudos to Trek, both world champions, TT mm -hmm. and Road. Yeah, they, they nailed it. <laughs> yeah, I caught up with Ina yesterday for a coffee in Bruges. And um, she obviously really rates Elisa, but she said herself, uh, if you'd said to me at the start of the day, she was going to win, I wouldn't have, yeah, she wouldn't have picked it. And going back to our picks, Abby, um, I picked her for a potential podium just because she's shown that she can get through a really hard race um, and then still pull it off at the finish. 
And that was sort of her advantage over some of these other sprinter types. I mean, we even saw with, okay, Kopecky's had a huge year, um, Balsamo as well, but she didn't even sprint at the end. She couldn't. And that just goes to show how hard that race is because, you know, Kopecky has shown how strong she is at the end of a hard race. And she didn't even, I don't think she even had the energy to try and sprint. She looked just cracked. And it was also like, it was a long race. The women don't usually race for this long. This always happens like pop up at the world championships. They decide to, slap 30 extra kilometers on the women's race and it does actually impact the tactics and the way the race is raced. And, um, yeah, I think that that may have been part of why we saw less sprinters in the finale, which I don't necessarily think is a good thing. I mean, if it's just for like having a specific number or if it's just how the course plays out, we were talking with Tiffany Cromwell after the race about how much the length impacts, impacts the tactics. And I mean, the riders don't, the whole debate about whether the women should have like Milan San Remo and that stuff, like the Peloton doesn't actually want longer races. I, it'd be, well, it'd be easy to find one rider who wants a longer race. It'd be Van Vluten, but like the rest of them don't <laughs> like the vast majority of the Peloton does not want longer races. It's, the short races that women have that make it, I mean, in our opinion, more exciting than the men's. (laughs) And so it's, yeah, it's just a, it's a classic thing that happens a lot of times at the world championships and and happened this year. I have to say though, we don't talk about men's cycling, but the men's race was just crazy. It was pretty crazy. (laughs) They were racing. It was a really good one. They were on it from 180 to go. (laughs) I remember just rechecking the distance and I was like, is this right? Like, <laughs> usually you tune in at that point, you're like, all right, I'll tune out for another two hours. But um, yeah. And also, if you just look at, at how every race actually panned out, there were no sprinters left at the end in all the, the women's race. race was pretty much the only race that ended in a bigger group. I mean, every single other race ended in like a solo ones and twos. twos and threes. Yeah. yeah. It was the women's race was the only one that came down to a group of more than three. Yeah. It's really telling. Like I'm surprised at the course being as hard as it was. I actually, you know, in, in the past podcast, I just, I really thought it was going to be a sprint and, you know, a thousand meters over 160 kilometers for the women's race. That actually is not that much in most race scenarios, but I think just with so many corners and so many sharp and narrow climbs that were raced super aggressively, I think that made all the difference, probably in the corners really, that had the most effect, that really kills the legs. It was like crit racing, but for four hours. <laughs> I mean, if you look at the, if you look at the final 10, you've got a handful of really incredible sprinters in there that just couldn't, couldn't sprint. And I think it was a combination of that incredible Italian lead out that just no one had that. No one else had that. So they, they couldn't have tried to beat it, but we had Arlena Sierra in fifth who she's not, she had an incredible year in 2019, 2018. She had like a a, a block there where she was always up there, but she's kind of had a, little bit of a harder time in the last year and a bit. She got fifth, Allison Jackson in sixth. She's an incredible sprinter and, and great result for her. 
uh, Corinne Rivera in 10th, Lisa Brenauer in 9th. So Demi Vollering in 7th, like there you go. It's just like a handful of sprinters up there that just couldn't actually accelerate to to challenge Balsamo. Yeah, they, they couldn't even change their position. Like in, in the last 2K, the last kilometre, I was watching Corinne and she's a very clever bike rider. She knows where she needs to be in a sprint and she was at the back of that group where she shouldn't have been. But it was clear to see that she just didn't have the legs to even move into a good position, let alone sprint. So it goes to show how hard the race was, but also that Italian lead out was brilliant, like, of course, Elisa Balsamo is one of the quickest in the world, um, full stop. But, you know, she had some girls there, not just Elisa Longo-Borghini, but it was Cavalli and um, Maria Giulia Confernalieri, who I think is really underrated. She's often getting top tens. She can sprint in her own right. She's still relatively young. I think she's, I see her as a bit of a lot of Capecchi, and I think she probably has to race for others a lot of the time. And, you know, with those four, you, you can't do anything. They paralyzed everyone. So they're all, they were all in super form and they, they executed it perfectly and it was because they were really committed to that plan. And I think that's actually one of the things that the Italians do well often at World Championships is they back one person. And for races that are typically annoying to race with in any other race that won't pull turns in breaks or anything, they come together at championships events for their nation and they often do a really good job. So, yeah, I, but I want to say that Alison Jackson not only had a great end result, she actually was very aggressive throughout the race. She was putting herself in moves. She made a few attacks even on one of the cobbled climbs. I think this is the best we've seen of her this year in the last few months. Ever since she got, sele- uh, ever since she got selected for the Olympic Games, I think it's just given her that extra confidence boost. She always had that strength and ability, but now she looks like she's you know, just breaking through that extra little bit that she needed. And I reckon this must have been one of her best performances of her career. And still no no word on who she's going to ride for next year. You've got to imagine that Liv has no problem keeping her. But we've heard basically nothing about riders from Liv. We know that they have a new DS in um, Georgia Bronzini, but we, we have not heard anything about riders. So I imagine they would want to keep her, but I would imagine that other teams have their eye on her as well at this point. And I mean, if she does stay with Liv, then she can actually be an outright leader. Yeah, they don't have Kopecky next year. And when Kopecky kind of sat out a bunch of the races after the Olympics is when Allison really got the chance to shine. Mm -hmm. Um, Also, uh, Catablanca Voss in fourth. Amazing. Yeah. Pretty impressive. I mean, obviously, we're going into the cross season, so it makes sense that she's on the up in terms of form, but she's barely raced on the road. And for, a, I mean, barely raced on the road this year in the professional peloton with SD Works. And for someone who doesn't have a ton of experience to get fourth on that course with that kind of chaos is really impressive. And with, like, no Your teammates. teammates. <laughs> I mean, yeah. everything I heard from from riders and, and from Toms and everything was that this was a race where you could not do anything without a team. Like, you really needed to have teammates on this course, and, and she didn't. And she managed fourth, which is just, yeah, yikes for the future, for anyone racing against her. Yeah, I'm excited yeah. for the cross season to see what she does this year. 
Um, Lauren, I want to pick your brain about the Aussies, but first I want to give an honourable mention to Rachel Nalen. She did a very impressive ride on a course that arguably doesn't suit her. She's not known for her classics riding. Um, she hasn't raced a lot in the last couple of years um, with some bad luck with the team that she was with, but since changing to Park Hotel, she's been able to finally get a few race days under her belt, but it's clear to see that she's been training the house down. She wasn't originally on the world's team for Australia, but because of Brody Chapman having to um, not line up on the start line because of an injury, um, Rachel was given the call-up and she, you know, I hate to say it, but she outrode all of the other Aussies on the day. And, yeah, I just want to hear from you how the environment was that you were able to be in with the Aussie team and, and what their thoughts were around their racing. Um, good point with Rachel. I want to give a kudos to her as well. Um, when they were trying to decide who to bring in, obviously we didn't have that many riders to, to pick from to fill that uh, spot from Brody, but I think 100% it was the right choice. And as you know, Gracie, Rach is always in form at Worlds. I've never been at a Worlds where she is is not ready to go. And arguably, she always has her best performances at the World Championships, which is always good timing. Um, she had an incredible race, and we knew that for her to, to get deep into the race, she actually had to be out in front. But as it was... You know, nothing really went until like towards the end of the Flandering Loop and when they were on their way back to um, to Leuven. And, yeah, Rach had the legs and she was there and she had the support of Tiff and Roy. But unfortunately with the Aussies this year, um, this is what I said to the girls, like everyone was a bit down afterwards because it's probably the worst result we've had since I think I've been racing in Europe, I would say. Um, but if we just look at the situation, you know, Grace Brown, ideally this would have been a fantastic course for her, but she, she's out with injury. Um, Sarah Roy had just broken her wrist four weeks ago and had just been doing ergo. Um, Amanda Spratt has having, been having a few health issues, which um, she will have sorted as well. Um, so we didn't have what I would call our A-team um there but it was an interesting atmosphere um I won't go into too much detail but I think it was just a bit of self-doubt going into the race because everyone knew that we didn't have our usual strength that we do like um Grace you've lined up at multiple world championships and usually before the worlds at least from my perspective there was always this this confidence in everyone that we could pull off a good result in the day and whilst a podium result was the goal I knew in my heart that it probably wouldn't wouldn't happen because I always thought the course was too hard for Chloe just in her her current condition. I think people forget that she she really suffered from COVID this year and whilst she got two good sprint finishes, winning a sprint finish on a on a flatter day and then trying to win at a world championships on a hard course is a completely different beast. So I think there's a bit too much expectation on her and she put a lot of pressure on herself. Um, I think after the race, she realised that, you know, she wasn't good enough on the day and for that course. But, I mean, she she's an incredible rider. It's just the thing, it didn't all come together for the Aussies and you could see it. We had no numbers, no strength. Loretta Hansen was on an awesome day. 
Um, I think she was at the front of the television the whole time at the start. And then unfortunately, she just had terrible luck at the worst possible point where, you know, she couldn't get any service on that steep cobble climb. So, um, you know, the same happened to Demi Vollering as well at one point. And that just takes it out of your legs. You know, the World Championships is a hard race. And then if you have a mechanical and you're having to chase back by yourself, um, there goes all the goods in your legs. So, yeah, overall, it just definitely wasn't our day. Um, going into it, I think we weren't going to have the greatest day, but they did what they could on the day. And that's yeah. it. And I think the, the biggest positive for me was I thought Tiff had a great race. She just didn't have enough support um, at the end there. And as Tom said to you, Abby, numbers was important. You know, you can't fire off too many bullets um, in those finishing circuits and not mm. have someone to back you up. And, um, yeah, and then in the end, Rachel was alone. So she yeah. did what she could at the end. But, I mean, typically Rachel's never going to finish off a race like that unless she went solo. Um, no, so. I think she took her chances as best she could. And, yeah, it's a real shame that some of our best riders who can be the best in the world on their day just weren't quite ready for this race this year. But certainly Tiff did a great job. It, it, she kind of was, you know, a, a, a consistent new old Tiff, which was really great that she's been able to hold it through this whole season. Actually, Roy did really well, I thought, for having broken her wrist only a month ago. Um, she's the kind of rider that performs really well when her back's against the wall. So actually, you know, wasn't surprised to see her up there. I know she would have done a lot of work on on the on Zwift, on the trainer for the last few weeks. And, you know, she she's mentally got it when it when the chips are down um, and Loretta did a great job. So it's really suck. It, it sucks to see that she had bad luck. And with any classic race, you don't need good luck. You just can't have bad luck. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. <laughs> Look at it this way. So the Aussies have had their string of bad luck this year. Next year, home world championships. Everyone's going to be flying. It's going to be great. Uh, yeah. it's, it's all in. The planning has begun. Like yeah. <laughs> you can't host a world championships and not, show up ready for that race so uh, I'm looking forward to to actually how they prepare for this and I think we've mentioned it before that doing more national projects could certainly help in bringing a team together and for those athletes to learn how to work together and really get to know each other because we spend the whole year mostly racing against each other and whilst you know how someone races um, it's completely different when you're put in a situation to race with someone. So I, I think Oz Cycling um, has seen that they need to invest again in the road. And um, I'm positive uh, that next year we'll, we'll have a good showing at the, the home champs. And I have a feeling maybe Gracie will be around there somewhere doing something. <laughs> maybe. I hope that you're there too, Laura, so I can see you as well. <laughs> All right, what else do we have from the world? I think we pretty much covered everything. Um, I think it's just cool to see Cassia get on the podium. I think she yep. she deserved a medal and she got one. So finally. Yeah. She was for Cassia. Yeah. 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 She made the race she made the race fun to watch. Um she was really on a lot of those smaller climbs, especially in the final Leuven circuit, she was really, really active and you can tell she's got really good legs right now. Um, so, uh, of course, I don't think that 
third would have been her preferred position, but she was so stoked. I mean, it was yeah. really, really cool to see how happy she was with that result. And, um, and all the pictures of Poland, the Polish team and everything after the race was, it was really cool. And, um, yeah, she's just and, a fun one. She's a fun one to watch. Yeah. Super fun. And one last person I want to talk about who had an exceptional day for her last race was Ruth Winder. I think she did a great job and, and used that she was, struggling a little bit mentally coming into this race. Retirement is it's tough. And I think when you know you're at the end, it's really hard to keep mentally going. But she she worked super hard and she was able to show her form. She was in great position. She helped Corinne. And I think she can be really proud of how she's finished her career. Yeah, definitely. She had really good legs on the day and was um one of the only uh, U.S. riders kind of up there with Corinne in the end and was super active. I think it was cool to see. And she was very emotional at the finish, just between, she said, you know you're retiring, but then it kind of just hits you, the career that you, that she's had and all the accomplishments that she's been able to, to um, live through in the last couple of years. And it was a good final race, I think, um, she wished it had gone a different way results result wise, but that's the mindset of a bike racer. I think they always do. <laughs> For sure. And she just got voted by her peers to be the athlete representative for women's road in the UCI Athletes Commission. So kudos to her for putting her hand up for that kind of responsibility. Not many people want to take on something like that, but it's really important that some athletes do because you know, voices matter in that scenario. And I'm really proud of her for doing that as well, especially from the Cyclists Alliance. Thanks, Ruth. Yeah, definitely. Cool. Should we talk about Roubaix? Yes, we should talk about Roubaix. A really quick breakdown of the course. So it's about, it's 117, 116 kilometers with 17 sections of cobbles, including five-star sections uh, multiple five-star sections that are kind of like, you know, the big ones. So it's going to be a really hard course. That's a lot of cobbles. And the cobbles are very, very different from the cobbles that the women are used to racing. We heard from a couple riders who pre-rode the course in the spring earlier in the year that it was just like Lizzie Dognan couldn't believe how hard it was to ride those cobbles. So it's a thing that we're we're walking into completely uncharted territory for the women right now. Uh, <laughs> choosing a winner, well, I mean, it's easy, but it's also not because we know who's riding well. We know who the course kind of suits, but we also really have no idea what to expect. I mean, Gracie, I feel like this would have been kind of your bread and butter, a race like this. So what do you what do you think of What's your general thoughts on on the Perry, on Perry Roubaix, the first ever women's Perry Roubaix? Oh gosh, this is a tough one for me to answer. Um, I went through a bit of grief this year, early in the spring, watching those first races back and not being there, and that was kind of an important experience to go through. And then I felt it again watching Flanders Worlds, and even more so in this lead up to Perry Roubaix. It was supposed to be on my calendar in my last year of racing. It was postponed and cancelled. And I just didn't quite ever get to do it. Um, I have done the recon of it, though, and I can 
yeah, I can agree with the writers. It is so hard. It's a completely different kettle of fish to the Flanders cobbles. The Flanders cobbles look like smooth little, you know, parve compared to this stuff. It's so wild and rough. Like it's just my hands were shredded after just two sectors. The sectors are so long. They're so rough. They just feel like they go forever. They feel like they drag up. It feels like you don't get momentum. Sometimes if you slow down too much, it's like when the erg mode's on Zwift and you drop your cadence, there's no way out. You have to just stop. It's um, it's going to be wild. And, you know, some of our Aussie fans know it took Matt Heyman, what, 16, 18 years from his first Rebay to winning one. And many of those riders have to do, you know, at least a handful of um, years of Roubaix to really nail it, to figure out how to position when, um, what how, what break, like do they need to be in the early break, how to race it. It's, it's such an art to Roubaix for the men, but they get so much practice at it. And the women, there's no one that's done it. So no one's at an advantage here. And it's just going to be, like you said, completely uncharted territory. Um, it's going to be completely unpredictable. And like I said about classics, it's not about having good luck. It's just about not having bad luck. And Roubaix is probably the home of bad luck. I think if you can get through a Roubaix with no mechanicals, you're probably going to win. And it looks like, so it starts off relatively tame. I mean, they do laps um, of the start town until 30K to go and then, or 30K to go until for the first 30 kilometers. And then after that, it's like cobble section after cobble section. I mean, there's, no time to catch your breath in between each cobble section. It's like five kilometer cobbles, five kilometers cobbles, six kilometers cobbles. Like it's like boom, 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 boom. So it's going to be a lot about who's not cracked so far this season. I mean, it's been a heck of a long season. Usually after the Worlds, it's kind of a time to wind down and there's some final races at the end, but for the most part, it's pretty chill, but world championships boom Roubaix (laughs) it's kind of with the Olympics thrown into the middle there it's been it's been full gas for a really long time and I think kind of the mental aspect of Roubaix is going to play almost a bigger role than who's got good legs but if we do look at who's got good legs uh Ellen Van Dyke there were when the race was announced over a year ago it was everybody said, oh, this is Ellen Van Dyke, right? Ellen Van Dyke's going to win this race. Now, looking at how she's riding right now, how happy she is, I think that her mood is going to play a huge role into her results at Paris-Roubaix. Uh, she's she's an out-and-out favorite for me. I mean, it's for her to win would be incredible. I mean, that is that is a wild end of the season. The European road race, the world champ TT, and then Paris-Roubaix, the first ever Paris-Roubaix. I think she's a hot favorite. Um, but who else? Who else do we think is going to be someone to watch? I think it's like what Gracie was saying and talking with Ina yesterday, it's, it's definitely a case of who can win it. But again, so many things are going to play into this race. Like, you said uncharted territory and the not having bad luck um also just for for the teams um that have never charted this territory what sort of you know tires are you going to run the pressure of the wheels all those things it's all new to a lot of people and you know you can't look at the men because we're talking about women here who 
a completely different physiological shape, right? Different weights and everything. So it's not going to be the same as riding the Flanders cobbles like Gracie mentioned. So there's a lot of different elements that are going to go into this. And um, again, yeah, like you mentioned, Abby, the mental factor. But I think even though we're coming to that end of the season, it's been a long year, just the sheer excitement of, of racing this race. I think people will still be able to hold on for another week, you know, go home for a few days and then just the build-up of excitement to come and race Roubaix. Um, we'll still see a few of those key riders that we saw at Worlds riding really strong um, do well. So, I mean, normally you would say someone like Chantal Bluck. She has said that she she wanted to win this race, and I think she's been named as SD Works as the leader as such. Um, yeah, Ellen Van Dyke. Um, I think we've seen the brand. But she's doing cross, unfortunately. Oh, yeah. Otherwise, I, I would have picked her. Trying to think of who's on the start list. <laughs> I think we also have some, um, like, underdogs who are going really well, like Cassia, even though she's, you know, you don't think of her as a classics rider. She's actually super capable and she's in good shape at the moment. Um, she's got really good skills. Um, so she could do really well. Um, Alison Jackson is the same. She rides so aggressively. I can just see her always being at the front at the right moments, um, and especially alongside her teammate, Lotta Kopecky. That could be a formidable duo. I wonder how Anna Henderson's going to go because she has clearly got really good legs and um, she is pretty good at bike handling for someone who's so new to the sport. So I, I'm curious how she'll go. She's obviously got Voss on the team, so... I think kinda... Voss will go good. Yeah. Um, again, think... she's technically apt and obviously has form as well. Names that we maybe would have picked a week ago, we might not... I mean, like, Kopecky I would have picked a week ago, but then again, Worlds was a completely different race. Um, same with Emma Norsgaard, you know? the There are two riders that are really strong, on a flatter course, they've definitely got an advantage, but it's hard to say how they're going to go in Roubaix. I mean, heck, it's hard to say how anyone's going to go. I really have no idea what's going to happen. Yeah, it is super hard to pick. It's really hard to not go past the favorite of Ellen Van Dyke, but yeah, gosh, there, there, there could be some interesting players in there in the mix, um, like, like Lisa Brenauer, for example. Mm. This is a completely flat, flat race. There's barely a metre of climbing in Roubaix. So it is different to Worlds. It's a different kind of strength that you need to the race that we've just seen. So while Worlds is a good indicator, it's still not like 100% how we can, you know, think about who's going to win Roubaix. I think um, riders who do well in a race like Drenta could do well here. Um, yeah, it hasn't sure. happened this year. When Drenta is like a really hard race, like when there's the wind and the rain and the cobbles, that sort of combination of elements is sort of, in my mind, the, the type of rider you need to win this race. And, I mean, Grace, you've gotten second at Drenta and Chantal Black has won Drenta and Ellen Van Dyke has been second at Drenta. So I think riders definitely of your style are the, are the ones that we need to look to. But, again, remembering that there is a lot of luck that needs to, or just lack of bad luck, um, <laughs> that needs to come into play. Um, 
but not discounting the smaller riders too, like you mentioned. I mean, Cassia is a small rider, but she is technically apt. And, you know, Tiff Cromwell, I always thought, you know, she's such a small person, but she rides cobbles really well. So I wouldn't yeah, be surprised. Tiff's got great skills, yeah. She'll be up there in the mix um, in that sort of front group. So anything mm-hmm. can happen, and I think that's the exciting thing about this race. Um, also for DSs. Um, for everyone is we just don't know what's gonna how it's gonna go down no. unfortunately we actually only get like 30 kilometers of live coverage as well really which yeah yeah and at that point it's i think it's two hours but it includes the podium so <laughs> it's gonna be like an hour and a bit Forza? yeah that's what i've heard no inside sources Okay, the yes, women are on a different day. Oh, uh, nothing so, happens on Saturdays. <laughs> yeah, so that's kind of a bummer because at that point the race is going to be nearly. Done. Well, obviously it's nearly finished because it's thirty k to go, but it's also like all of the really interesting tactical stuff will have happened earlier because it's such a crazy race that it's going to be the tactics are going to play out. I think earlier in the race, and by the end, it'll just be who's left. Right. Um, so I need to put Harry in his little ergo pouch thing and take him to the race. <laughs> he was there at the Worlds. In um, he watched. He watched. <laughs> he watched most of the U twenty three race. He was. Um, he was at the info point with me, giving <laughs> instructions. So <laughs> he's been exposed to to bike racing now. You've got uh. to start him young. <laughs> Also, Elisa Balsamo's racing. So first race with the rainbow jersey. Very it's cool. cool that the rainbow jersey is con- like, uh, obviously Anna Vanderbregen done after the world championship. So that was her last race. I can't believe we didn't mention it until now. Uh, <laughs> it's kind sad. of a shame. <laughs> Round of applause for Anna Vanderbregen. <laughs> um, but yeah, right, right into the next world champion. Elisa Balsamo will be, will be there in her rainbow jersey. Yeah. I was just going to say it's kind of a shame because it was actually quite a few people who were having their last race and they didn't get any attention because of Anna. (laughs) Yeah, it's true. I mean, Jolene Dehore is, uh, I think, racing Roubaix, but that was her last race on home soil. And the... They had her come out on the podium before they had the actual podium. And it was all the, just so many Belgians, you know, in the crowd. Uh, it was like pre-COVID in Leuven, <laughs> the World Championships. COVID never and, happened in Belgium. Yeah. And everybody <laughs> was just so excited when she came out on the stage and it was really cool. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, there's a lot of big names retiring at the end of this year slash uh, over the weekend. Um, and I think we'll see even more next year. I think so. maybe after Roubaix and when we record again, we can maybe give a shout out to a few people. Yeah. That will go through and make sure we. But I keep forgetting that Chantelle Vanderbilt Black is racing through the classics next year. Yeah. She's not retiring until after. So this isn't her only shot at Roubaix. She can she can win it next year. She's still got that. So. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, that's all we got. A long episode do we have anything else to talk about i don't think so i think so cool all right we will be <laughs> back next week to talk about Perry roubaix thank you so much for listening to the freewheeling podcast and thank you to zwift for supporting us and uh yeah don't forget to watch Perry roubaix it's gonna be a doozy 